No, President Trump can't delay the election. What a week. Welcome to What a Week, where we break down the week's top news stories. Uh, my name is Matt Sinovic. I'm the executive director of Progress Iowa. Um, back after um, after after taking leave for the birth of our son, so thank you to Greg for stepping in as the host for these last several weeks. I really appreciate it, and he has done a great great job. Um, but let's dive into this week's stories. Um, President Trump, of course, is trying to claim that he can delay this year's election in a tweet uh, filled with mistruths and and um, and uh, disinformation. Um, but I want to start this week with uh, the latest COVID-19 update here in the state of Iowa. It's Thursday afternoon, um, and as of this recording uh, on July 30th, we just passed 44,000 positive cases, uh, 857 deaths in the state of Iowa. Despite all this, uh, Governor Reynolds wants to reopen schools and is taking and continuing to take away our local control. Um, she had a press conference this morning with her latest return to learn plan, um, where she's telling, where the state is telling school districts that they need to prioritize in-person learning and setting specific benchmarks that the that that they're uh, uh, to, to close down schools based on positive caseloads in there. In their area of COVID-19 and it's the exact opposite of what you want to be doing because you don't want to wait until the community spread is so bad that that that's when you close down schools you want to be proactive you want to have great safety measures in place and the bottom line here is that parents want their kids back to go back to school um, kids want to be in the classroom with their friends socializing and learning teachers want to be teaching um, and, and, but the only catch is we all want to be doing that in the safest way possible. And what governor Reynolds and the state have failed to do is spend the last several months since they knew this was coming. This has been three months in the making since they shut down schools, um, in April. Um, the, this has been three months in the making. They have wasted that time and not put together a, a, a comprehensive plan for uh, giving state uh, for giving our schools the resources they need to open up safely so now they're scrambling now they're trying to figure this out on the fly and and it's just the latest example of her failed leadership when it comes to this pandemic um, and that's a big part of the reason why uh, this other breaking news story happened today governor reynolds actually has the lowest approval rating among any governor in the country when it comes to the response to covid 19. This is a survey that's been going on for months and months, um, uh, run by a, a number of universities, including Harvard, North and Northwestern, and Rutgers. Um, we'll link to it in the episode uh, uh, or in, the, in the, the site for the episode. But um, but Governor Reynolds only has a twenty eight percent approval rating among Iowans when it comes to this. Uh, it comes to COVID nineteen. That is abysmally low. It is um, it is indicative of her just catastrophic failure. Um, when it comes to responding to this disease, and uh, we think it, it it shows how fed up people are with her her just absent leadership. Um, so please take a look at that. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Uh, stay home if you can, and and call on the governor to um, call the governor. Tell her to uh, tell her to 
issue a, uh, uh, a mandatory mask order um, and, and encourage her to, to provide resources for schools to open up safely. We'll turn now to President Trump's extremely dangerous tweet um, suggesting that he could delay this year's election. He shared it this morning as we learned that the economy had contracted by roughly one-third the GDP uh, last quarter and during um, Congressman John Lewis's funeral, um, which the president did not attend, and we know that he did not like any attention going to this civil rights icon um, uh, as opposed to him, so he tweeted this out. Um, it's, it, it's a shock to the system. Even Republicans are speaking out against his tweet suggesting that he could delay the election. Um, and we are so grateful uh, that we were able to, uh, at the last minute, be joined by Jason Kander, who's the former Missouri Secretary of State and the founder of Let America Vote, um, uh, who, who now leads the national expansion effort for Veterans Community Project. And he's the host of majority of the Majority 54 podcast on Crooked Media. Jason joined us for an interview uh, earlier today to discuss the president's tweet and what we can all do about it. Well, Jason, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, we, of course, are talking about uh, President Trump's latest uh, latest tweet, um, which which it's, it's dangerous to say that because I feel like he could just tweet something else in 10 minutes and then we'll be, you know, our heads will be spinning to the, to the next uh, crazy scenario that, uh, that he puts out a, there. You can have a daily podcast just called, we're talking about President Trump's latest tweet. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but today's tweet or, you know, the, the most recent uh, uh, nuttiness is, is him suggesting that he, that, that the election this fall could be delayed, that he could delay the election. And just to lay it out there, I mean, is this as ridiculous as it sounds? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's as ridiculous as the, as the messenger, uh, so yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, so here's the deal. Uh, this is every several days we know that he, he does this, which is he says, what is the thing I can do that will change the entirely change the conversation back to me and what's going on today let's see what's going on today is a civil rights icon is being remembered and a president that america still loves is in the process of delivering a eulogy uh that is going to make everybody remember what it's like to have a president that people actually admire uh, and that's very upsetting to trump i mean it's it's happening it, you know, he's not there. He, he's instead, he's sitting on the toilet tweeting about this stuff. So he's like, what's the most inflammatory thing I could say right now to get the conversation on me? That I think is the beginning of it. And then we can get into the logistics uh, and the larger strategy here to the extent there is one, if you like. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's quite, first of all, that's quite the visual you've given us there. But uh, <laughs> Um, but I did, you know, th there is some great information and I want to get your perspective, of course, as someone who has run elections as secretary of state in Missouri, but, um, but there's a great resource, uh, uh, from the national task force on election crises, which I mean, literally the, 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 the document that I'm looking at right now says the president of the United States cannot cancel or postpone the election. I mean, and so like, I mean, there's the, there's the, 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 the bluster and bullying and distraction that you're talking about. But I also want to make sure that we um, accurately uh, 
give people information about why this is not why this is not right. So I don't know if you want to go into that at all or um, or how like sure. yeah, what kind of solace you can give folks too. So I want to give people solace, but I also want to say something that people don't want to hear, which is that our rules and our institutions are only as good as the people enforcing them. So look, sure. no, he's not going to cancel the election. Congress has to set the dates of elections. All the elections have to happen on the same day. Uh, that's not going to happen. That said, there is no more. He can't do that. That's not a thing that I believe in anymore uh, in terms of across the board. And here's why I say that, because throughout our history, here's here's what we've had the benefit of. We have had bad people lead one of the three branches of government at various times in our history, right? I mean, like Taney was the chief justice of the Supreme Court when Dred Scott happened. And, and why did Dred Scott happen? Because he was like, you know, well, we're not going to end the slavery thing, right? So I mean, that, right. but but at the same time, like we, the other two branches were not being led by horrendous people at that time, right? So or at least one of the two, and 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 therefore it couldn't happen. Uh, Richard Nixon was pretty big into abuse of power, but the other branches of government weren't with him. Uh, but right now, if you look at you know the the judiciary is questionable. If you look at the head of the Senate. And then if you look at the presidency, we have this terrible, perfect storm that I think is probably the first time in our history of where, look, we've had bad people before, right? We've had slaveholders. But I'm talking about we have people in all three cases, to some extent, who are leading all three institutions. And I'm starting to get really dark and scary, but I'm going to turn it around in a second. All three people <laughs> who are leading these institutions who have no respect whatsoever for the concept of life after them in those jobs. They have no sense uh, of duty or obligation to the idea of the, the people who come after them. Now, that's why so much terrible stuff has happened. That's why so many norms have been flouted. And that's how we got to where we are right now. So I'm not going to say that something like that could under no circumstances ever happen. But what I can tell you is I cannot see legally or logistically the path for him to get there. Um, and that's good because in the other cases, usually you can't. So uh, legally, no, he can't do that. But uh, is there a scenario where he declares some sort of national emergency and he enlists enough Republican secretaries of state and election officials around the country to say, we're canceling this election or we're not spending the funds to do it, where we have chaos? Yeah, that's possible. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but that I'm not going to tell you that's impossible. Now, all that said, here's what's really happening. What's really happening is, A, the first thing that we talked about a minute ago, which is I don't want people thinking about John Lewis. I want people thinking about me. I don't want people thinking about Barack Obama when I'm thinking about me, so I'm going to do this. The larger picture here, the 30,000-foot picture is he is losing this election, and he knows that, or at least he's losing this campaign, and he's afraid he's also going to lose the election. And so what's he doing? He is prepping the battlefield for his skirmish that he's going to uh, engage in afterwards in the courts to try and call into question the legitimacy of the election and therefore stay in office. And if not stay in office, at a minimum, save face with the many people who uh, support him so that he can at least continue to stoke division and live in the narcissistic uh, self-reinforcing bubble that he has managed to live in his whole life where he can tell himself and tell all the people around him that the election was stolen from him. So that's what he's doing. I mean, it's like 
when I play golf, man, like I suck at golf. So what's the first <laughs> thing I do when I show up? I start telling everybody how, oh man, I did legs today and oh, I'm pretty sore. I don't know how this is going to go. So that's what he's doing. And, uh, and, and, and on top of that, he's just trying to create chaos, right? Like if he can create enough chaos, then he can make a difference. Look at what he's doing. And I'm sorry, I'm going on a monologue, but if, if you, if you look at what he's doing, uh, with, uh, deploying federal officers into cities, I mean, this is pretty simple, right? This is a plan that says, okay, I got no chance of getting votes in the cities. They've never liked me and they like me even less now. But the suburbs, the suburbs are, I got to get those people back or I got no chance. So what's he doing? He's pitting two groups of voters against one another. He's sending people in to stir up chaos and create chaos in the cities. Then he's taking those images and he's beaming them into the suburbs. And he's telling people in the suburbs, literally telling people in the suburbs, I am the protector of the suburbs. What's he hoping to do? Hang on to enough of those voters to win. And as a bonus, if he can create enough chaos in the cities and he can create create enough doubt about the election, yeah, maybe he can make it really extra hard to vote in those places by sending in federal officers and having a bunch of problems uh, in the days running up to the election. So it's right. pretty Which, scary, but I don't think he can do what he's saying he's going to do. Well, yeah, you're right. He took us to a dark place, but hopefully, you know, kind of pulled us back a little bit there. Um, but I hopefully that, that wouldn't be as much of the case in states where there's a, a more aggressive or expansive, should say, uh, mail-in ballot um, uh, effort going on. And so Iowa, now you don't have to have an excuse to, to do an absentee, or you don't have to have an excuse to do an absentee ballot. I, I, I don't, if I'm remembering right, Missouri is not that way, but, nope. but he also talked about that in his tweet. So I, a couple things, I want to make sure that, we, I wanted to get your perspective on on mail-in ballots, I mean, I, we, we've we've seen that work here, and President Trump himself has voted by mail. So, um, but I want to talk about that, and then also like the the I hadn't thought about the the idea of these different secretaries of state, but what I mean, it, it, not to just spin a, a, an awful scenario, but what if I mean I imagine if you were still a secretary of state that you would that the election would carry forward as much as you possibly could. What happens if we have, is there a scenario where we could have like elections happening in some States, but not in others? Is that even possible? Like, so anyway, um, is it, is it legally possible? No. Is it, I mean, but the problem is they are so insistent on taking us into uncharted waters and accomplishing their goals at all costs. It's hard for me to predict. Look, I'm not trying to sound alarmist. This is not something the president, can legally do. This is not something that I can see how he would do. But what we have a tendency to forget is that democracy is not a permanent thing. And America is far from a permanent thing. We're super young, man. And, and like, there is no such thing as you can't do that. It is just a matter of what are, what, what actually ends up happening. And we're much more fragile than people realize. And we have been we have benefited from the fact that for all of the fighting we've had, even, even in some of the worst fighting we've had, you know, accepting out the civil war, we have always had people engaged in this process, at least at the most basic level, in some degree of good faith about the idea of agreeing on the rules of the game. And we don't have that right now. And so, it's like when you play poker, 
with people who don't know what the turn or the river is, those are the people who take your money because you play against them as if you're as if they play as a rational actor. And so I'm not saying like we have to be irrational or we have to do terrible things. I'm saying I'm not going to sit here and say we don't have to be ready for everything. But now taking all that back, let me say something that's helpful. Two things. One, the people listening to this need to understand that if any of those scenarios come to pass, if Trump is able to make any of that a possible threat, which I think is incredibly unlikely, there ain't jack shit that anybody listening to this can do about it right now. So everybody's got to put their head down and make sure we're going to win the election and keep doing the work and, and everything. That's all. That's my response. You know, I'm like a leader in the party or whatever the hell, but that's even, that's my responsibility too. I am not, uh, elected to anything. I'm not on the Supreme Court. I'm not uh, any of those things. So my job is to make sure we're all heading in the right direction and doing the work. That's the first thing. Second thing I'll say, and a reason to be optimistic is, if you think back to 2016, right before the election, we were on the precipice of making a massive leap forward in this country when it came to the health of our democracy. I mean, like, think about that. We were, photo ID laws had almost completely blown themselves out, right? Like they had been beaten in court so many times that if you looked around the country, legislature, Republican controlled legislatures had punched themselves out and were really in their final blows trying to make those things happen because they knew they were losing the battle. Um, We were heading that direction. More states were doing, you know, automatic registration. Mm -hmm. Um, We were heading in the right direction and we were one democratic presidency uh, away from really locking that down for like a generation, you know, a couple of Supreme Court picks, you know, all that stuff. And the reason to be optimistic here is that we are one election away from being right back there. We, if, if we win the presidency, win the Senate, win the House, we can make gains in the next two years that will be just astounding. Now, it's not a finish line. But it means like it's right there in front of us. So as dark as all this stuff I'm saying is and as scary as all of it is, stuff happens fast. I mean, eight weeks ago, uh, things were really discouraging and no, nobody wanted to touch, you know, uh, nobody in the NFL could possibly imagine speaking the words Colin Kaepernick. And as we sit here, Black Lives Matter right. is twice as popular as the president of the United States. Things change fast. And we can change them really quickly. But I can't sit here and tell you, no, the worst can't possibly happen because every country in which the worst has possibly happened, people right before that thought the worst can't possibly happen. All right. So is the best thing people can do is turn off this podcast or use it <laughs> as they're walking? Now, maybe you're not going door to door, but whatever you're doing to, to make a difference this fall, is that, is that uh, yeah, what can people do? What do you think people can do? Is that it? They can give their money. They can get with organizations like yours. They can get with organizations like mine. All of them. It doesn't matter. I don't care who you work with. Everybody has a way for you. I mean, look, we're sitting here right now. You're in Iowa. I'm in Missouri. I'm on my computer talking to you. You can do this to call your neighbors and friends and everybody and get them to vote. And at a very minimum, what every single person can do is talk to everybody in their social orbit and make sure, A, if they're voting the right way, they're going to vote. B, if they're voting the wrong way, that they uh, are persuaded by you because you have a relationship with them, you have credibility with them, tell them, give them your testimony, why this matters personally to you so much. 
everybody can do something. And, you know, I'm a broken record, but I always say 54% of the country voted for somebody not named Donald Trump. That means there's more of us than there are of them. And if every single one of us is telling all of our friends and family and coworkers and everybody you go to, you know, your place of worship with and everything, why you feel the way you feel, then we're going to win and we'll win by a lot. Um, and then, you know, on election day, we got to protect that process and people should give money to that and they should give time to that. But do what you can do right now. And then afterwards, we'll make things better. But, you know, focus on the, on the, on the finish line here. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. And we will hope that everyone takes that call to action. And uh, Jason, thank you so much for, for, for being with us today. Always enjoy talking to you, Matt. Sorry that I just preached for like 15 minutes, but uh, that was fun. All good. All good. Finally, to wrap up this week, we lost a giant and a civil rights icon in Congressman John Lewis, whose funeral was held earlier today. Uh, we're going to finish out this week's episode with his speech at the March on Washington, which rings even truer today when he said, quote, we do not want our freedom gradually. We want to be free now, end quote. Here's his speech. Rest in power, Congressman. We march today for jobs and freedom, but we have nothing to be proud of. The hundreds and thousands of our brothers are not here, but they're receiving starvation wages or no wages at all. While we stand here, there are sharecroppers in the Delta of Mississippi, water in the field working for less than $3 a day, 12 hours a day. While we stand here, there are students in jail on trumped-up charges. Our brother James Palmer, along with many others, is also in jail. We come here today with a great sense of misgiving. It is true that we support the administration's civil rights bill. We support it with great reservation, however, Unless, unless Tile 3 is put in this bill, there's nothing to protect the young children and old women who must face police jobs and fire hoses in the South while they engage in peaceful demonstrations. In its present form, this bill will not protect the citizen of Danville, Virginia, who must live in constant fear of a police state. It will not protect the hundreds and thousands of people who have been arrested upon Trump charges. What about the three young men, Snickfield's secretary in America's Georgia, who faced a death penalty for engaging in peaceful protest? As it stands now, the voting section of this bill will not help the thousands of black people who want to vote. It will not help the citizens of Mississippi, of Alabama, and Georgia who are qualified to vote the lack of sixth grade education. One man, one vote is the African crime. It is our tool. It must be ours. We must have legislation that will protect the Mississippi sharecropper, who is put off of his form because he dared to register to vote. We need a bill that will provide for the homeless and starving people of this nation. We need a bill that will ensure the equality of a maid who earns $5 a week in a home of a family whose total income is $100,000 a year. We must have a good FEPC bill. My friends, let us not forget that we are involved in a serious social revolution 
But by and large, American politics is dominated by politicians who build their career on immoral compromises and ally themselves with open forms of political, economic, and social exploitation. There are exceptions, of course. We salute those. But what political leader can stand up and say, my party is a party of principles? For the party of Kennedy is also the party of Eastland. The party of Javis is also the party of Goldwater. Where is our party? Where is the political party that will make it unnecessary to march on Washington? Where is the political party that will make it unnecessary to march in the streets of Birmingham? Where is the political party that will protect the citizens of Albany, Georgia? Do you know that in Albany, Georgia, nine of our leaders have been indicted, not by the Dixocrats, but by the Frederick government for peaceful protests. But what did the Frederick government do when Albany deputy sheriff beat Attorney C.B. King and left him half dead? What did the federal government do when local police official kicked and assaulted the pregnant wife of Slater King and she lost her baby? Those who have said be patient and wait, we must say that we cannot be patient. We do not want our freedom gradually, but we want to be free now. We are tired. We are tired of being beaten by policemen. We are tired of seeing our people locked up in jail over and over again. And then you holler, be patient. How long can we be patient? We want our freedom and we want it now. We do not want to go to jail, but we will go to jail if this, this is the price we must pay for love brotherhood and true peace. I appeal to all of you to get in this great revolution that is sweeping this nation. Get in and stay in the streets of every city, every village and hamlet of this nation until true freedom comes, until the revolution of 1776 is complete. We must get in this revolution and complete the revolution. For in the Delta of Mississippi, in Southwest Georgia, in the Black Belt of Alabama, in Harlem, in Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, and all over this nation, the black masses are on the march for Georgia and freedom. <laughs> We're talking about slow down and stop. We will not stop. All of the forces of Eastland Barnett, Wallace, and Thurman will not stop this revolution. If we do not get meaningful legislation out of this Congress, the time will come when we will not confine our march into Washington. We will march through the South, through the streets of Jackson, through the streets of Danville, through the streets of Cambridge, through the streets of with the spirit of love and with the spirit of dignity that we have shown here today. By the forces of our demand, our determination, and our numbers, we shall splinter the segregated South into a thousand pieces 
and put them together in the image of God and democracy. We must say, wake up, America, wake up, for we cannot stop, and we will not and cannot be patient. What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. We are mixed and edited by Greg Hounsey. For more information, visit potluck.fm. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next week on What a Week. What a Week.